0: If you turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 8, in the church Bible that's page number 506. And in the larger print it's page number 779. As we come into Esther chapter 8 today, we need to remind ourselves what is going on. The main characters of Esther are Mordecai, Esther, King Xerxes, And Haman Mordecai and Esther are Jewish and they are both related the setting is Persia and we've looked at seven chapters so far in Esther and the book is unique because God is never mentioned but we've seen throughout the chapters that God is clearly present in the circumstances of Esther we saw in chapter 2 as Esther became Queen and although we didn't know why she became Queen straight away We saw in chapter 3 and 4 that she became queen because her people, the Jews, were under threat. Haman, who had come to power, second in command to the king, hated the Jewish people, and he brought in a law that all the Jews would be murdered. God brought Esther to be queen so that she could save her people from death. Esther risked her life and went to the king to plead for her people. And then last time we we saw the clear hand of God as Haman got angry with Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow the knee to him. So Haman decided he was going to have Mordecai put to death. And Haman, he he goes to the king to get permission to kill Mordecai. And we saw in that chapter 6, that same night, the king couldn't sleep. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, the king just happens to find out that Mordecai needed rewarding. Because uh, we saw at the start of the book, at the end of chapter 2, that Mordecai had earlier rescued the king, but Mordecai didn't receive any reward. So the king, he, he finds out that Mordecai rescued him and Mordecai needed to be rewarded. So, so Haman, he comes to ask the king to have, Haman, to have Mordecai killed. But the king straight away asks Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? The king wants to honor Mordecai because Mordecai has saved the king. But Haman, as he's asked this question by the king, he thinks the king must want to honor me. So Haman says, the one the king delights to honor, let this man be dressed up in the king's robe and put on the king's horse and be honored throughout the city. And after Haman had said that, the king said, go, do this for Mordecai. Then after that, Haman was embarrassed and he went home. But as this was going on, Esther had been having banquets with the king and with Haman. And the purpose of the banquets were to tell the king that Haman Haman had planned to kill her people. She gets favor from the king and in chapter 7 she reveals that Haman has planned to kill her people. And this makes the king furious, and he has Haman killed. And then we saw at the end of chapter 7, Haman, the enemy of the Jews, has been killed. The man who brought about the law that the Jews would be decimated, he has been dealt with. And here now, at the start of this passage, Esther receives Haman's estate. And we also see Esther revealing that Mordecai is related to her. And the king gives Mordecai the role of Haman. Haman, the enemy of the Jews, is gone. Mordecai is now in second, second in command. And Esther receives Haman's estate. And it wouldn't, wouldn't be an outrageous thought to think, now the Jews are okay, the story of Esther can finish. But although that might be our first thought, the story isn't finished. In fact, in this passage, we come to the point where the Jews need deliverance. The law that Haman orchestrated hasn't gone away. It still stands. The Jews are still in danger. The Jews still have a death sentence. In chapter 8, we see deliverance for the Jews. So let's now read chapter 8. So this is the same day that Haman was impaled. So chapter 8, verse 1. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, Falling at his feet and weeping, she begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it, right, it the right thing to do, and if, it ple- if he is pleased with me... Let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman son of Hamadatha the Agagite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now, write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. At once... The royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and the nobles of the 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and in and the language of each people, and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted carriers who rode fast horses especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province, and made known to the people of every nationality, so that The Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. This is God's Word. In your life, what bad outcome have you been delivered from? Maybe you've been delivered from an illness, maybe a family crisis, maybe you've been delivered from a bad relationship. When we get delivered from something bad, it brings joy and happiness because we're delivered from a bad thing. When we see what we've been delivered from, it brings joy and gratitude. In Esther chapter 8, we see a people who are delivered from destruction and it leads them to rejoice in their deliverance. Esther chapter 8 reminds us to remember our deliverance and rejoice in it. We as believers in Jesus are delivered from God's judgment and we should rejoice in the salvation that God has given us. Today in Esther chapter 8, as God's people delivered from destruction, we can be reminded of God's deliverance for us in Jesus. So let's now get into Esther chapter 8 and see the deliverance for the Jews. In this passage, we see Esther, she wants to bring deliverance to her people. We've already said that in, in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, that Mordecai has received Haman's role. He's now second in command to the king. And we also saw that Esther received Haman's estate. We see here Mordecai and Esther, they are safe. They are secure. They are in a place of self-security. But the rest of the Jews, they still have a death sentence. So what will Esther do? We see in chapter 8 that Esther, again, she pleads for her people. Although comfortable and now secure in the palace, Esther seeks deliverance for her people. And this starts in verse 3, the request for deliverance. So verses 3 to 6, verses 3 to 6, the request for deliverance. So Esther here, she wants her people to be delivered from the decree set up by Haman and we see in verse 3, Esther, notice verse 3, Esther falling at the king's feet and weeping, pleading for the people to be free from this evil plan Haman has brought in. And again, just like earlier, the king, he extends the golden scepter to Esther. He, he shows her favor. If you notice Esther chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, Esther, he asked, she asks the king to grant her life as her wish. And her request was for her people, the Jews. And now Esther goes straight to her people. Her life is granted. She is safe, but her people, the Jews, they aren't safe. The Jews, they still have that law that they will be destroyed. And Esther continues in verse, verse 5. She asks the king boldly to let an order be written to overrule that decree that Haman has brought in. Let this evil law be overruled so that the Jews aren't decimated throughout your kingdom. That's what she asks the king. And then we notice verse 6. Look at verse 6. Esther hits the heart of her message. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Just imagine Esther here She's a real person with real emotions. Just think of the thoughts that are going through her mind. What would she be thinking? We clearly see that Esther, she lets out her emotions with love for her people, a longing that they would be delivered from the destruction that's coming upon them. Esther no longer thinking about herself like we saw in in chapter 4 where she's unsure about going to the king. Now she's safe, secure in the palace, And she has nothing to worry about, yet Esther, she pleads for her family to be delivered. She goes to the king on behalf of her family, those who are heading for destruction. Isn't this a picture for us as as believers in Jesus? There are two encouragements here. The first encouragement is we are in a similar position to Esther. We have security in Christ. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, and in him we are saved. And because of Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Notice what Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John 6.40 says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In Christ, we as believers have, are absolutely secure. We're safe and kept in Jesus. And Jesus, again, He emphasizes this in John 10, 28, and 29. Jesus talking about those who will believe in Him. He says... I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Today as a Christian, you are totally secure and safe in Jesus. But notice in this passage, what does Esther do with her secure position? She pleaded... For those who weren't secure this is a, a second encouragement for us we can plead with the gracious father to save our unbelieving friends family anybody who does not yet know christ we see esther pleading with the king here and this can be an illustration of what we can do for our family our friends those who don't yet belong to jesus how was esther motivated she saw the future of her family. She says in verse 6, How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? This caused Esther to plead with the king for her family. And in the next two chapters of Esther, we'll think more about the future of unbelievers. And it's a sensitive topic. We don't like to think about the future of unbelievers, especially our family. But Esther's knowledge of her family's pending destruction brought her to her knees. And we too as believers have access to the Father. We can pray and plead with him to save. We can plead with him to change hard hearts and give opportunities for us when we're with those who don't know the Lord. And I'm sure we do that often, and I'm sure we long for our family and friends to be saved. But let's not give up. Let's keep pleading with the Father to save. Our Father loves us and he hears our cry. And never forget this. He is able to save. He can save and he will save anyone who goes to the Lord Jesus for salvation. But what will happen here in Esther chapter 8? As Esther pleads with the king, will she be successful? Will her people, her family, be saved from this coming destruction? We see that in the next part, the decree of deliverance, verses 7 to 14. Point number two, the decree of deliverance, verses 7 to 14. We see in verse 7, the king responds to Esther, and he tells Esther and Mordecai that because of Haman's attack on the Jews, he's given Esther Haman's estate. And the king has had Haman impaled. And then the king says, verse 8, Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, and seal it with the king's signet ring, because no, written, no document written in the king's name and sealed with, with his ring can be revoked. And then the king, he speaks in a similar way to what he did to Haman in chapter 3. And this makes us ask the question, how will the Jews be delivered? How can there be another decree written? If when the king seals a document in his name, it must stand, and Haman's decree to have the Jews killed was sealed by the king's signet ring, how can it be overturned? It's written in law. The king is saying, write another decree on behalf of the Jews. Write another decree that will go alongside Haman's decree so that the Jews will be delivered. So again, as this new decree is written, we see in verse 9, the royal secretaries are summoned. And it says that this was written on the 23rd day of the third month. And notice in verse 9 that it's Mordecai who writes the decree. And this new decree is written to all the 127 provinces of King Xerxes and they're written in each people's language verse 10 Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes and he sealed it with the signet ring and he sent it out by couriers who rode fast horses so this new decree is sent out Mordecai has put it together but what is it going to say how will this new decree deliver the Jews from the other decree So what does the new decree say? Notice verses 11 and 12. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar. So this new decree is a decree for the, Lord, for the Jews to defend themselves. This is for the Jews to kill anybody who attacks them. And the day that's given for this decree is the same day that Haman's decree will happen. This coming, this coming week on Wednesday, it's Valentine's Day and the start of Lent. The 14th of February is both Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. This is the first time this has happened since 1945. Two different occasions happening on the same day. In Esther chapter 8, two different things have been decreed for the same day. And both cannot be revoked. They will happen it's written in law, law that the jews have a death sentence but it's also written that they will they can defend themselves these two decrees here in esther chapter 8 are a slim version of the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit the law of sin and death is the old testament law of god the law is holy just and good but because we cannot keep god's law on our own the result is only sin and death and god has said that everyone who sins will die the wage of sin is death god has said that every person who sins will receive judgment and this has to happen this cannot be changed or overturned and the bible tells us that all of us every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of god's standards this means that every person is under the law of sin and death, heading for destruction. Just like these Jews here in Esther chapter 8. And God cannot just overpass this. He cannot overlook sin. Why? Because he is perfectly just. He must punish evil. God cannot lie. Therefore, whatever he says will come true. But just like here in Esther chapter 8, there's a new law in place. And that law will bring deliverance for the Jews. The law of sin and death is what we're all bound to and cannot escape. But through Jesus Christ, we are released from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit in Romans 8 that we read earlier sets us free from the law of sin and death. God doesn't abolish the law. Instead, he has salvation for us In Jesus, the one who took our sin and judgment on the cross when he died. So God is still just and the justifier of the ungodly because God will deal with sin. Either Jesus will pay for it or the one who rejects Jesus will receive judgment. Although we can compare these decrees from Esther 8 to the decrees of God, they aren't exact. God's law on sin is good and right, but Haman's law to have the Jews destroyed is wicked, evil, and unjust. God's decree of the gospel is good, and it brings believers eternal salvation. The decree here given by Mordecai for the Jews is good, but it's only temporal deliverance. We see here in this chapter that the Jews, they are delivered from their destruction. But just a side note here, the Jews aren't told just to kill any, anyone and everyone. They are told to kill those who attack them, defend themselves against their enemies. Those who are following the decree of Haman, those who are seeking to carry out the destruction of the Jews. And as this new decree or law, as it goes out, it goes out so that verse 13, the Jews would be ready to avenge their enemies on that day. And this edict is to be made known to everyone. So, verse 14, it's issued in the city, in the citadel of Susa. Just think about that. This decree is made known to everyone. Here on the 23rd day of the third month, a new decree is made that on the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jews will be delivered. The Jews have deliverance from their destruction what does this lead to how do the people and the jews respond to this new decree notice the last point point three the result of deliverance verses 15 to 17 the result of deliverance what respond what response comes after this is this decree is published Cast, cast your eye down to verse 15 we firstly see mordecai leaving the king's presence as second in command and he's wearing royal garments. And then look at the last part of verse 15. The city of Susa held a joyous celebration. The city responds in joy. Verse 16, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. This is a contrast to the end of verse 15 in chapter 3 when Haman set his decree to, to destroy the Jews. The city of Susa was bewildered. They were confused by that death sentence that Haman had brought in. But now this, this unjust law has, has a decree against it. Now the Jews will be delivered. So there's joy. Joy because they are now delivered from their destruction. I wonder today, if you're a Christian, are you joyful about the deliverance you have in Christ? And I think defining joy is important. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And every believer should have joy. And joy is based on a knowledge of the certain hope that we have in Jesus. We cannot lose joy whatever our circumstance, because our joy is founded upon our security in Christ. We are saved by Christ. Therefore, we have joy because we know God. We've been forgiven and cleansed by God. This can be a challenge for us all as Christians, can't it? Because let's be honest, we don't always feel like being joyful, do we? When tricky family situations occur, when when we struggle at work, and sometimes we just don't feel joyful, do we? But we as Christians have to choose joy. As Christians, we can have joy by reminding ourselves of who we are in christ reminding ourselves of what jesus has done for us we can remind ourselves of the future hope we have and we can remind ourselves of god's deliverance for us colossians 1 13 to 14 directs us to joy for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We have joy because of what Jesus has done for us and the salvation we have in him. And this joy is ours and it can be never taken away because we're safe in Jesus. This is good news for us as believers. We are delivered from the destruction that we were going to face. Charles Spurgeon once said, those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Here in Esther chapter 8, the Jews give us a great example of joy. They are delivered from destruction and they are filled with joy. What does that joy lead to? Notice, Notice the last verse. Notice verse 17. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. The Jews, they rejoiced over their salvation. They rejoiced at their deliverance. And their joy caused other people from other nationalities to become Jews. How amazing is that? The Jews, they received deliverance and it caused them to be overjoyed. And because of their joy and deliverance, others saw and they became Jews. In this passage, we come face to face with the promises of Abraham being fulfilled partially. As many people from other nations Come to believe. And Christians today can be a great witness to others just by being joyful. Not meaning we smile at everything and never get sad, but that the watching world will see that whatever we go through, we hold firm onto Jesus, and we always seek to be glad in Him because of our salvation. That can be a great witness to unbelievers, being joyful in Christ I wonder then when unbelievers look at your life do they see joy in Jesus as we bring this chapter to an end we see non-jews becoming Jews we see unbelievers switching sides because they know that the God of the Jews is the one true God and not everyone but in our world today people are beginning to understand that Jesus is king. All over the world, Jesus is building his church. People are being saved and delivered from a life of sin and a future destruction to come. I wonder, have you switched sides? Have you come to realize that Jesus is the king? These Jews in this passage, they have destruction coming to them, but they were delivered you've not yet trusted in Jesus, you too have destruction coming to you. So I urge you, be delivered by going to Jesus, the deliverer, the savior. Jesus has come to deliver you and save you from sin and give you life. But for those of us here who do know Jesus, let's be a people who remind ourselves of our secure position in Christ. And let that be the source of our contentment, joy and and happiness that christ has delivered us from our sin and we are secure in him so let's now stand and proclaim this truth by by singing come people of the risen king Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen.